0: Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error, and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. When I was 15 years old, my grandfather sent me to an, an old, older man's house. He was a farmer. His name was Willie B. Tarpley. If you're from around Watertown area, you're familiar with the Tarpleys. He, spake, he spoke so country that I couldn't understand him, and I'd been country my whole life, or most of it. You, you ever been around somebody like that? <laughs> y'all, you know? <laughs> and so you caught the y'all at the end, but you're not sure what else he said. And so I would just take cues from what he said. When he pointed, I I figured he wanted me to go over there. When he laughed, I laughed. And when he he was, I think, cussing me, I just still laughed, Right. <laughs> And so, but Willie B would often give me instruction without explaining to me how or why I was doing it. And so one day, I hadn't been working for him very long. I used to work on his farm. My papa sent me over there. I later learned to teach me to work, Um, which every young man needs to know. And so I get there. He has a farm. It's a couple hundred acres. I used to help him feed his cows, do all that stuff. But they had just built a barn. And like community came together to build a barn. And if you guys don't know anything about barn raising back in the day, they wanted three-quarter inch, two-quarter inch solid oak slabs cut from trees on your own property, still wet about 10 to 12 feet long and heavy. And as I explained to you guys last week, I weighed 165 pounds soaking wet and could do like three push-ups at the time, right? So I get there and he sees there's this big pile of wood, probably about the size of the stage, a little bit but taller. And he, he says to me, I think, he says, take this so put it over yonder. And he pointed over to a specific place, kind of. And so I picked up the wood, man. I spent a, about a day and a half picking up all this wood and organizing it and put it over where yonder was or where I perceived yonder to be. And he, he looks at it, he comes out, you know, he'd been in his air-conditioned truck, drinking from his ice, iced tea, or or actually had a jug of ice water. He'd come out and he goes, no, 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 over yonder. And then he just walked away again. Still never really told me where that was, and so I did it again, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm mad at this point, but he's an older guy, and I knew if I back-talked him, my papa would punch me in the mouth. And so I didn't, and so I, I reorganized this pile from over here to where I thought over yonder was. Well, apparently that wasn't right either, so we did this two or three times. Finally, at the end of the week, I've been moving this pile of wood all week. At the end of the week, he essentially says, it just—it was fine where it was, just put it back where it was. And that's where it stayed for the whole time I knew Willie B. may still be there, for all that I know. We need instruction. Sometimes it's not just enough to tell people... You should do it. We need to know why we're doing it. Amen? And so we are to pursue holiness. We are to pursue Christ's likeness But why are we doing it? Or how are we doing it? Not why. How are we doing it? I want to equip you. You can't be equipped without the how. People say, you should do such and such. But I, remember, I remember my papa saying, go do this. Why? Because I told you so. That was enough for him. I want an explanation. Right? So let's talk about the how. And I want to talk about the how we pursue holiness out of Colossians chapter 3, if you'll turn there with me. I'm going to read 1 through 17, but just know that I'm only going to actually preach from verses 12 through 17. And so if you'll follow along with me, it says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... It says, if you have been raised up with Christ. If you belong to Christ, this isn't an if. It's essentially saying, since you have been raised up with Christ. These are your obligations. It says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden. I should put on my glasses with Christ in God when Christ who is our life is revealed then you also be will be revealed with him in glory therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead i'm going to stop right there you belong to Jesus he gave you a new spirit and because he gave you a new spirit you are a new creation and if you are a new creation then you should act differently than the old creation which is what it's saying right here he says put to death your earthly bodies to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. All of the sin in your life amounts to idolatry because you think that the sin in your life is more significant than the God that you serve. It's it's an incredible rebellion to God for us to sin. People say, why sin so serious? Because it's rebellion to the glory of God. Very simply put. And so we should put these aside. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. I don't know about you, but I'm not looking for the wrath of God. I don't want to be a son of disobedience. I want to walk in obedience and instead of uh, uh, having the wrath of God, have the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, all of these things wrapped up in the compassion of God. Amen? Amen. And so for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. So Paul's not saying that you've never been that person. He's declaring you used to be that person. Stop being that person. And have put on the and have put on the old self. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. But now you verse eight. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. All these verses, verses all the way up to verse 9, is just saying you're not who you used to be, so stop acting like who you used to be. Verse 10. And because you're not who you used to be, and because you've set aside who you used to be, you need to put on something else. It says, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, uncircumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. Amen. And then in verse 12, this is where I'm going to start teaching. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Amen. And so today I want to talk about the, hi- the how. Specifically, if you're taking notes, and I recommend that you do, how we put sin to death, which is the title of the lesson, putting sin to death. Because I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want to be who I was. I- I'm not who I am, but I don't want to act like who I was. And so there's some instruction here, how to put on the new self. And I'm going to cover a few points for you today. Number one, to put sin to death, We have to set our heart on proper things. To put sin to death, we set our heart on proper things. Let me read the first couple verses to you. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. We're told to put on some things. Which means we have to set our heart on proper things. Now there's a list here, and it's a pretty significant list. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving. But I want to talk to you about the motivation behind why we do it. The thing we have to put on, the proper thing we have to put on first. And that's the proper understanding of who we are. You know why? I walk in compassion or try to. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving. Because the word of God says that I am chosen. It's an intentional pause. Because I want you to think about what that means. It means that God chose you. Or chose all of us congregationally, but you independently. I want you to, I want you to personalize the gospel. Because I think we look to our left and we say, okay, yeah, I can see where God would love that guy enough or love this girl enough, but does he really love me enough? Yes, the Bible says that he chose you, that none should perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that he chose you. It means he saw you, Miss Jean, before the foundations of the earth. and Because he saw you before the foundations of the earth and determined to set His heart, his heart on you, he chose you. He determined that you were going to belong to Him. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, this should bring us comfort. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Why did He do it? because of the kind intention of his will, because his kindness drove him to love you, to choose you, to say you belong to me. I'm slow walking this on purpose because so many of us don't know who we are because we don't know what we mean to the God that bought and paid for us. And you are chosen from the foundations of the earth Before your great, 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 great times, however many greats have been since since the 6,000 years, I'm a a literalist, since the earth has been created. He chose you. you. And sometime before that. At what point did God start thinking about the foundations of the earth? Because he chose you before that. Amen? Amen? And because you were chosen... If we're keeping our mind on proper things, because we are chosen, he has made us holy and beloved. This is what the text says, even before he gets started. So, as those who have been chosen of God, comma, holy and blameless. I think we read through the word too fast. This is, when we read this set of texts, this is the introduction to us. But it's not the introduction, it's the motivation. We are holy and blameless. God has made us holy. He has set us apart. For a good purpose, for His purpose. Amen? Amen. And there's two kinds of holiness. I'm going to break off and I'm going to do a little theological discussion with you for a moment because I want to make sure that we understand what we're talking about. You don't have to work. And when I say pursue holiness, pursue Christlikeness, you don't have to work to be saved. Because there's two different kinds of, of sanctification. There's two different kinds of holiness. There is positional holiness that we get upon salvation. When I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am moved from enmity to at peace with God. I have a relationship with God because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because he died for me and bought me back from the slave market of sin. And so I am secure in my position. Amen? That's positional holiness. This is not what I'm talking about in most of the sermon series. I'm talking about progressive holiness. Because I don't know about you guys, but the day after I got saved, I still cussed like the day before I got saved. I had to work on some stuff. Now I felt bad about cussing the day after I got saved, but I was still habitually sinning. Because we have to put on, and put on is a process. Amen. And so we are positionally holy, but we are also progressively holy that we move more and more towards Christ like And we're going to continue this this progressive holiness until the day that we see Jesus, according to the word of God, which is first John three, two. I never want to tell you guys, Those of you guys that are visiting. We have several. I appreciate you being here. But I try never to say anything out of my own opinion. I always try to back it up with Scripture. So let me prove this point to you in Scripture. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, this is capital H, this is Jesus, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. When are we going to be like Jesus completely and wholly? When we see Him according to the Word of God. So, in this idea, having been made holy, but still pursuing holiness, a lot of people see a contradiction between, and I know I, I'm speaking a little dry, but just bear with me, I, I want us to have a, a, a right understanding of the Word of God. Amen? And so people look at Romans, and they look at James, and they say Romans and James are contradictory, because Paul says in Romans that you're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. Right? He does, if you're not familiar but in James it says that faith without works is dead. These seem contradictory, but it doesn't. Let me explain why. Because you are positionally secure, you're positionally sanctified, positionally holy, because you made a confession of Jesus Christ in faith. But you should be moving towards, continually towards likeness in progressive holiness by your works, by your willingness to submit to the Spirit of God. The fact of the matter is, and I I use Pastor Eric's quote all the time, you can't put something as big as God in you and expect it not to leak out someplace. And this is absolutely true. And so we work because we want other people, because we're so overjoyed with the salvation that we have, with the security that we have, with the eternity that we have, with the promises of a living hope that we have, that we can't help but share it with other people, whether that be going to Joseph's storehouse or telling the guy next to me at, in the cafeteria at work over a sandwich about the Lord that I serve. Let me tell you, it should work out so that it sque- he squeezes out of you someplace wherever you are. Thank you, Lord. So there's no contradiction between Romans and James. In fact, they're beautifully attached to one another, complementary to one another. So we are holy, but not only are we holy, we're beloved. I'm still talking about motivation. Why do I even want to put on the new self? I want to put on the new self because God chose me. Not only did He chose me, He made me holy. He continues to make me holy. And I am His beloved, which means He's set His divine love on me. Y'all are just out of luck. Now, He set His divine love on you, too. And His divine love is immeasurable. But you know what's awesome? Is that God's divine love is immeasurable, but it's also provable. You can prove the love of God in your life. Let me explain what I mean. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. There are things that used to traumatize me ideas that would traumatize me there were places where i didn't have peace because i was overwhelmed by anxiety but the spirit of god in recognizing the perfect love that god has for me has abated that fear in me this is a proof that god loves me amen it's provable in his unfailing kindness and blessings towards me and unfailing kindness and blessing towards you People say, I'm not blessed, man. My life's hard. I barely got enough money to pay my bills. Sometimes I struggle. Go to India, where a family of 12 people are living in a 5-foot by 5-foot aluminum-sided box in 120-degree heat and boiling their water, which isn't purified, just so that they can have boiled water, just so they can drink some kind of water. You're more blessed than you think that you are. And His blessing over you, His loving kindness over you, proves His love for you. Not only those things, but the transforming power of His Holy Spirit proves His love of us. The fact of the matter is, I'm not who I used to be. Internally or externally. But it's a consistent thing. I tell you, I was telling Angela that just yesterday, I think it was yesterday, maybe the day before, even in, in regards to my preaching. When I first started preaching here, I thought, man, why did people even show up here? Like, I read through my notes, I'll be like, oh, man, I'm not even sure that's scriptural. <laughs> right? A couple of y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, I said one time, Scott told me, I don't know if you remember, Scott, like, I was up here, I was preaching on Jericho, and I said, man, they marched around Jericho 10 times. <laughs> they didn't march around Jericho 10 times, man. But that's the number I had in my head and so that's the number that came out of my mouth. My whole point is every piece of me has become transformed because God loves me and He set His Spirit in me and His Spirit in me helps me be transformed. Which is another provable way. He set His Spirit on you. He sealed you with His Spirit. This is His divine insurance that you belong to Him. God's love is is immeasurable but provable. And I praise God for that. That he calls me his beloved. His chosen. And that he has made me holy. Because there's no work that I can do that can make that happen. As holy. As chosen. And as beloved. We have the motivation. Or should have the motivation. To put on proper things. And here's the list. Compassionate. Kindness. Kindness. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving. I'm going to run through these real quick. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the the beautiful, perfect example of all of these things. I was telling the first service, Christians should be the most loved people on earth. We should be. I mean, when you... When you walk into a grocery store, people see you, they recognize you're a Christian. They should, they, sh- they should love you with the heat of a thousand suns. But they don't. You know why? Because we've not put on these things. Because we're not compassionate. We're not humble. We're not forgiving. Matter of fact, a lot of times we call ourselves Christian and we are the opposite of these things to the people we should be being these things to. Challenging word for us today. Who you used to be can't be who you are right now. The Bible says you're to be compassionate. You know what that means? That means you have to have mercy for other people. But mercy is just a feeling, a thought. I have mercy for them. Compassion is mercy revealed in action. You can't just feel bad for somebody and not do anything about it and consider yourself passionate. We're supposed to be people that work so that Christ might be known. Right. It says that Jesus had compassion on them because they had been with him for several days and out of his compassion, he miraculously fed him. He had compassion on them and fed the 5,000. He had compassion when he saw that they didn't have a shepherd and he taught them. His compassion drove him to action. He had compassion that many amongst them were sick and he healed them. His compassion drove him to action. Now, I'm not saying that you have the ability to meet every need. You don't. But I tell you what, within a body of believers, there's somebody in here that can meet that need, yes. which is why the church is important. People are, man, I'm struggling, man. I- I'm having this problem. Did you tell anybody? Do you have a church home? Or did you tell the heathen that just came back from the strip club last night, still hungover, who just wants you to shut up because he's not going to solve your problem for you? This is real talk, 101, folks. <laughs> All right? yeah. If you're visiting with us, this is the preaching you're going to get every Sunday. So we're called not only to, to mercy, but mercy driven to action, to kindness. True kindness is grace that saturates us. People should look at us and go, man, that's, Brother Leonard is the, one of the most kind men I know. He is gracious beyond, beyond most people that, I, that I've ever come into contact with. If he has time, he sits. I've seen him sit here until nobody else was in the church building. I'm sitting in my office thinking, man, I love the fact that you are such a kind man, but I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll stay here while he just ministers to someone that's struggling for an hour. Why? Because his kind heart has compassion for them. This is who we should be. When was the last time you were intentionally kind to somebody just because you could be? Humility, recognizing that it's not about you. But humility recognizes that Jesus became less so that we could become more and that we should do the same. Jesus literally came out of heaven to be here so that we could be lifted up, which means, you know, you can't lift anything unless you get under it. Which means he didn't just lower himself to your level, he lowered himself below you and lifted you so that you could be greater than you ever were? When was the last time you stopped and lifted someone so that they could be greater because you took the time to do it? These are the things we're supposed to put on. Humility, gentleness. It's a willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting injury. It's the way that we're supposed to restore a brother. It's it's the way we're supposed to act when we... When we give a a, a defense of of our faith. We're supposed to have an attitude of gentleness. Which is hard because when people inflict pain on us, what do we want to do? We want to inflict pain back. But you know, Jesus sat silently, the word of God says, as a lamb to the slaughter, as they literally stripped the skin off his back. Because he was gentle and kind patient and humble and loving and compassionate. We are to be forgiving which I think is one of the biggest problems in the church today. Somebody looks at you crazy or doesn't even look at you crazy you just assume they looked at you crazy. Right? We had had somebody leave the church one time because Angela looked at her but didn't say hi to her. That doesn't make any sense. If you got a problem with somebody, go tell them. Say, hey, i got a problem. Just a man's church. If it's real bad, we'll go out in the back. We'll work it out. (laughs) Right? In love. We'll have a Bible study is what I mean. I don't know what y'all talk about. (laughs) But we have to be willing to forgive. Because I tell you, the quickest way to destroying your soul is to not forgive because not forgiving will cause a root of bitterness to grow in you. And unforgiveness will keep you out of the kingdom of God. These are the things that God told us, tells us to put on, that Paul tells us to put on. So my challenge to you is, are you putting them on? Because as you put them on, it'll kill the sin in your life. Because it's impossible to sin and be humble and compassionate and kind and forgiving. Or at least it's very difficult to. Number two, to put sin to death, we love with the right motivation. We love with the right motivation. And keeping with the put-on motif, love is the belt that pulls all of the things that we've talked about together. It's the reason why we do all the things that we do. Why am I patient? Why am I compassionate? Why am I humble? All of these kinds of things. When I say I, I mean us in general. Why should we be? Because our love is right. If your love's right, you're not going to do any of these things. Amen? I want to read you something. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Most people are familiar with this text. It's, uh, it's considered the love chapter. Usually called the love chapter because it's exactly what it talks about. But it's interesting that the last verse of chapter 12, after, after Paul talks about all the spiritual gifts that are in the church or should be applied in the church, Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, effects of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, all of these things. He says, man, you should pursue these. You should chase after them. They're important for the proper functioning of the, of the body of Christ. Everybody has their place and every place should have its, have its uh, priority and should, should be worked out in the church. And so he's saying pursue, pursue, pursue these gifts, pursue these gifts. Let me tell you, the gifts are alive today. In the house of God as they were in a first century church. We're not a cessationist church. We believe because I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says it stopped. That those things stopped. Now are they endowed by God? Not by man? Absolutely. But they still exist today. And he says so we should pursue them. But let me tell you. Then he says this. And I show you a still more excellent way. Out of all this cool stuff. Healing. Speaking in tongues, prophesying, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, all of this cool stuff, you should pursue those. But there's something more excellent than that. And you know what that is? The motivation as to why we do that, which is love. And then he starts with chapter 13. Verse 1 says, If I speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so in verse 1 he says it doesn't matter what I say doesn't matter what i say if i don't say it because i love you if i don't say it out of love for you then i'm something annoying and irritating and the people that are hearing me talk just want me to go away you guys know anybody like that verse two he says if i I hope it's not me if i have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and if i have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love i am nothing So not only does he say, whatever I say, he says, whatever I know. There are people out there that just want to give you the information that they have in their head because it makes them feel good to be smarter than you. But they're not imparting that information because they love you. They're imparting that information because they want to demean you or look better than you. Let me tell you, nobody listens to those kinds of people. My wife and I joke around. She said, how do you get away with saying stuff like that to people? Because I, I think they, they know I tell them the things that I tell them because I love them, because I want what's best for them, because I want to see them at the end of their life in the kingdom of God with me. Yeah, and so they, they take what may seem as a harsh word because the motivation is right. Now, there are times when the motivation wasn't right. I just got irritated, and blurted something out, and they didn't pay attention. But I'm working through it, all right? <laughs> Verse number three. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor... And if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And so whatever I say, whatever I know, whatever I do or give, whatever I sacrifice, if I didn't sacrifice it, give it, do it, say it, with the proper motivation, it means nothing. And then he continues through verses 4 through 7. He says, it's the reason why in all of this, this is what... This is what love looks like. If you want to know how to say it the right way, do it the right way, give it the right way, this is how you do it. Be patient. Be kind. Don't be jealous. Do not brag or arrogant. Do not act unbecomingly. Do not seek your own, which means it ain't about you. Be humble. Do not be provoked easily. Do not take into account a wrong suffered, which means forgive. Do not rejoice in unrighteousness, which means you should rejoice in righteousness. You bear, the tr- bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. This is what we are to put on. Isn't it interesting that this list for love is very similar to the list for putting on? They're the same list. And so if you're not putting it on for the sake of love, you're missing the point. One, you put it on because God loved you. And you put it on so that you could show that love to somebody else. So that they might know the God that you know. And one of the great things about love that continues to be spoken of in this this verse, it says, Beyond all the verse 14 beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. When we love right, we create unity. There is no functional church in America or anywhere in the world that is disunified. Did you catch that? I said a functional on purpose. There's a bunch of dysfunctional churches out there that aren't unified. What happens when we become disunified? We start tribalizing. You guys ever been to, not necessarily a church, but maybe anywhere? Maybe a church, I hope not, but maybe. You go to a church and there's cliques all over the place. There's three or four people here and three or four people here. And this this three or four people don't talk to this three or four people, or this three or four people thinks they're better than this three or four people. And so the church is essentially become tribalized and nothing survives tribalization. Nothing. And so the church becomes tribalized and then they start isolating. And when we isolate, we lose the touch that we should be getting from those that should love us properly. It reminds me of a a commercial I saw. You guys ever seen the the dog commercials where they Sarah McLaughlin's in the background, and it's really, they're wanting you to send them money for the Humane Association or whatever, and they, they show some dogs that have been beat on and all that. I, I'm, we're like Pastor Eric, he was talking about. I just want a second mortgage in my house, right, for a dog, and it doesn't make much sense, but by the end of it, man, you just can't help yourself. I was watching a video on one of those, and it was a, it was a dog that had been isolated. The dog wasn't beat on, it was isolated. And they had this dog, and the person was trying to reach in and touch it. And as he reached in to touch it, the dog began whelping, like, really loud like that. You ever heard a dog, like, scream and just almost in pain sounding? As loud as you could. he could do it, yelp, 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 yelp. And he had his tail tucked in so far under his rear end that his rear end was almost close to his head. He was almost folded in half trying to get away from the touch because he'd been isolated so long. He was unfamiliar with the touch. And then finally, after about a few minutes, I'm sure they edited it down, but after some time, the the person's actually able to touch the dog, and it's almost miraculous. When isolation is broken and that dog is touched for the first time, the tail pops out and starts wagging and almost crawls under that person to be close to them. This is what happens when we don't love well when we, we, we become disunified in our disunification, become isolated, and in our isolation become scared that we're going to be hurt again. The church should not allow this to happen. We should always be reaching to touch so that the person might be folded back in, that they realize that it's okay to tuck under the protection of the love should, that should be found in the house of God. But we have to love with the right motivation to create the unity that is the power of the church. Psalms 133 says that unity it creates the anointing. So many churches, there's nothing happening. I, I, I really don't like to talk about other churches, but, and so I won't specifically. But you walk into some churches and it's just deadpan in there. And people just... They show up, they do their thing, they leave. They show up, they do their thing, they leave. They show up. No life change, no putting on anything. The Spirit's not moving. You guys know what I'm talking about. I, I'm not being ugly, I'm just telling the truth. And if we ever get to that place, I promise we're going to shut this joint down. But in that, there's only one reason that exists. Because love is it, right. Because love creates unity. Unity brings the anointing of God, and the anointing of God moves the Spirit of God. But we have to get our love right. Because our love right gets our unity right. And if there's one body, one spirit, one baptism, then shouldn't we be one too? Number three. To put sin to death, we take up the word of God. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The Word of God is the instruction manual to Christ like this. Everybody should have a Bible. But can I tell you, in 1,000, I think I said 1,137 pages of my Bible, not one place will I find anywhere where it says I have to own a Bible. But you know what it does say? It says you're supposed to hear it. For he who has ears, let him hear. You're not only supposed to hear it, you're supposed to handle it and handle it correctly. You're not only supposed to handle it correctly, you're supposed to hold fast to it. Not only are you supposed to hold fast to it, you're supposed to hide it in your heart according to Psalms 119. How can you hide something in your heart, comma, so that I might not sin against you if you don't read your Bible every day? If you don't have a Bible, let me give you one. I have boxes of Bibles. I will give you one in almost whatever translation that you want one in. I just encourage you to read it, whether it's one minute a day, three minutes a day, five minutes a day, ten minutes a day. I don't care because I promise if I can get you to read it one minute a day, the Spirit of God is going to cause you a year from now to be reading it an hour a day because you're going to get an appetite for what you consume. And So if you'll promise me three minutes a day, I promise you'll be a Bible scholar for too long. Because you're not going to be able to put your Bible down because it's alive and it's breathing. And it will change your life as God uses it to change your life. Amen? Amen? People are all, man, God doesn't talk to me. God talks to all of us. And this is the primary way in which he does it. The Bible says, this text that I just read you says, let the word of Christ abide in you, which means take residency up in you. Are you allowing the word of God to take residence in you? We should be. Because when we do that, it says in this text that we are teaching and admonishing. So once I read the word of God, I should I should begin teaching. I should begin able to I should be able to admonish. I should be able to make correction. Not only in myself, but as I see it in others. So Second Timothy 316 says this. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching which means what is right, for reproof, which means what isn't right, for correction, which means how to get it right, and for training in righteousness, which means how to stay right. So let me break this down in Lebanese for you. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for what is right, what isn't right, how to get it right, and how to stay right. Some of us, man, I don't know what to do. Read your Bible. It'll teach you how to get it right. Oh, I'm getting it right. How do I sustain? Read your Bible. It'll teach you how to keep it right. It's all in the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. People say, Holy Spirit speaks to me. He'll never speak to you outside of the Scripture. If you say the Holy Spirit told you something and you can't confirm it in Scripture, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. You need to go back to drawing board and seek some, some counsel, wise counsel, people that know what they're talking about. Not only that, but it should create a true, deep emotion and peace in us. It says here in verse 16, it says, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's okay to be emotional about the Word of God. You guys ever just wake up so happy, man? You just walk in through the house and you're whistling or singing, even if it's your wife wish you wouldn't because you find you have this inner joy you just woke up with an inner joy the word of god will bring you that peace will bring you that joy you know how I know because it does it for me and I'm a dumb pollock if it'll do it for me it'll do it for you number 4 to put sin to death we do all in the name of the lord verse 17 Whatever you do in the word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Paul ends here with a basic rule of thumb. Just do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus does. There's, it's, it's the caveat at the end of a job description. Y'all ever read the, bottom, the very bottom of your job description, whatever that job is? And whatever it is your employer wants you to do? Pastor, pastor Eric, you know what I'm talking about, right? He's the youth pastor here. Asterix and whatever I need him to do, right? This is what that's saying. At the end of the day, if you don't know what to do, do what Jesus did. Because that's what we're pursuing. We're not pursuing Jim likeness or, or Oz likeness, Pastor Rick likeness. We're pursuing Christ likeness. Now, pr- hopefully we're living in such a way we should be able to save follow us as we follow christ but at the end of the day you're not following us you're following christ to put on the new life we have to put on christ romans 13 14 says put on the lord jesus and make no provision for the flesh in regard to lust first corinthians 10 31 says whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do do all for the glory of god you know what that means That means do everything in such a way that God is made bigger in your life. And because He's made bigger in your life and people watch you, that He might also be made bigger in their life. It's the purpose of being a candle so that we can shine a light into a lost and dying world. But you can't do that if you're not willing to set aside the old self and put on the new self. In all of the ways that we've discussed, this is how we put sin to death. The problem is none of us want to put what we're supposed to put on on because it's uncomfortable, it's, it's trying, it's sometimes difficult. But, you know, we live in a society, we know people, you could tell who people belong to and what they do for a living based on what they wear. You look at, like, you look at a baseball player or a bus driver, you know what they do. You look at a police officer or a postal worker, you know what they do. When people look at you do they know that you're a Christian because they should that's the uniform that you should be wearing every day we need to put on the uniform of the God that we serve so that when people see us they say I recognize that I recognize who he works for I recognize who she works for sadly though we don't all the time do that I don't all the time do that. I promise I'll always be transparent with you and I and I am. I try to be. And so I'll tell you I, I, the idea that I would ever come up here and preach to you hypocritically wears me out. And so as I was writing this sermon and even this morning I came to the altar to make sure I hadn't missed something. I asked God well first when I wrote the thing I repented because there are times I don't put on compassion like I should. There are times I, I don't walk in the humility that I should. I don't put on the uniform the way I should put on the uniform. And so I asked the Holy Spirit to dig that out of me so that I can be a better reflection of Him. I'm not doing an altar call today for salvation. What I am doing is I'm going to ask you a question. Do you wear the uniform rightly? In all the ways that we've discussed. Is your love right? Do you forgive? Do you walk in humility? Are you compassionate? Are you patient? All of the ways in which we've discussed. Have you allowed the word of God to abide in you the way that the word of God should abide in you? Are you wearing the uniform properly? And if you aren't, I'm going to ask that you stand up. And we're going to repent as a congregation or whoever stands up. And ask God to not only forgive us for not wearing the uniform properly but to give us the strength by the power of His Holy Spirit to put it on properly. If that's you, and you'd like to a moment of repentance to just say, God, I'm sorry. I ain't getting this right all the time. I love an obedient church. And I don't mean obedient to me. I mean obedient to the Word of God, a recognition that the Spirit of God still has work to do in all of us. Amen? Right, let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love You. And God, we thank You that That your word over us is true, that we are chosen, that we are holy, that we are beloved. Simply because you determined to love us. Because you determined through your son Jesus to do the work necessary to ensure, God, that we have a relationship with you. But God, I'll be honest with you. As I look at this list, I'm not always compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient i don't always bear with one other people like i should or i don't forgive like i should god i repent of that god i truly repent of that i'm not saying i'm sorry i'm repenting which means i'm asking you by the power of your holy spirit to dig that imperfection out of me so that i never deal with that imperfection again i set my face on jesus christ your son believing that because he gave me your spirit, if I just focus on him and who he is, I will begin to walk as he walked. God, this is the prayer that we all make. We all make it individually and congregationally. Let us be a congregation that reflects the magnificent beauty and love of who you are. Let us walk into a room and people say, oh, I know who he belongs to. I know who she belongs to. And God, we thank you in advance for doing it. We thank you that we know because we know it's not possible that we do it on our own, that we're only capable of doing it because you have placed your spirit inside of us. And so I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you guide us today, tomorrow, the next day, and continue to cut the things out of us that shouldn't be in us. I praise you for who you are. We praise you for who you are. And we thank you in advance for doing it. In Jesus' name and all of his people that are in agreement said, Amen.